three, two, one. Welcome, 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 everybody, to episode 147 of the No Normal Show, brought to you by Revive. This is where we leave all things status quo, traditional, old school, and boring in the dust and celebrate the new, the powerful, the innovative, the future, all related to how brands can lead the way in health. I'm your co-host, Chris Bevelo, Chief Brand Officer at Revive. <clears throat> I'm joined, as always, by co-host Stephanie Weirwell. SVP of hello. Integrated Marketing at Revive. Hello, hello. Hi. And as always, also co-host, shows producer, senior marketing manager at Revive, Chase Kleckner. Hello, Chris. Your, Hi. Your intro really got me jazzed up. Does it get excited? I wasn't expecting that. that let's go. <laughs> when did let's go become the, the cheer? I oh want somebody gosh. to like out there in the audience figure that out because now it is the if you like watch sports um if you listen to my daughter play video games in the basement and she's constantly starting the game by saying let's go or when something good happens uh what did that i wonder where that came from because that i mean that's not relatively new right i mean like the last few years maybe yeah. that it's become the cheer maybe i feel like i've heard you say it a lot of <laughs> a lot of times in the last year I feel like it was our mantra internally for a, for a couple of months not and so uh credit where credit is due that's Brandon Edwards oh, CEO nice. former CEO founder executive chairman of Revive who really popularized it in our office and yeah that's been around for years but in the public purview Stephanie, you got nothing on Let's Go. I got nothing. I got nothing for you. Isn't <laughs> we'll that? Google isn't that a? Oh, that's Let It Go. That's the song in Frozen, right? <laughs> oh, no. That is. I know that no. song. <laughs> it's not that. All right, so uh, we've got. A, we're going to talk about the future in, in maybe the biggest way we ever have. We're going to talk about Web three, which is going to be amazing. And caveat now. We'll give this caveat later. We know. We don't even know enough to be dangerous. You know, usually you say like, you know, enough to be dangerous when you know something, but you're not a master or an expert in it. I'm not even sure we know enough to be dangerous. We know enough to be foolish. Is that fair? <laughs> you're setting <laughs> this up to... really well, Chris. <laughs> I'm just making sure that we're setting it up fair. Lots uh, of we got, we're we're going to dive into it. We're going to talk about it related to health brands. Uh, first, we want to talk about the Oscars because it's a huge cultural uh, event in our lives. We are not going to talk about the incident, the slap, because that has been driven into the ground, um, has gotten far more attention than really I think it deserves. So let's just talk about the Oscars sand slap. And I have some feelings. Now, you guys, did you guys watch it? Yes. Nope. I'm not an, I'm not, a, we've talked, I think we talked about this, I don't know, maybe a year ago or six months ago, but uh, the award shows are just not my thing. They're way too long, and I feel like they're just filled with with too much stuff. So I'll, I might watch the highlights, but uh, that's my POV on award shows. Though some people like them. I know Stephanie and Chris, you do. Uh, the Oscars is the only one I actually will sit down and watch, and that's not every single time. And usually uh, it's with the assumption that I'm going to do other stuff. Uh, because it, there's the filler 
it's it's like a baseball game, right? Like a baseball game can last three hours if it goes long, and maybe there is literally twenty minutes of actual live action, right? Um, now there's benefits of sitting through that because you're outside and it's beautiful. I feel like that's the Oscars. Now, Stephanie, you love the Oscars, so I, I bet you feel differently. Um, well, I like making, I like having a good time, making a good time of it. So we hit record on Hulu, went out to dinner, grabbed champagne and cookies on the way home, <laughs> and then sat down and and fast forwarded to you know the parts we wanted to watch. So it was a, I, it was a great experience. And one interesting thing, I I did enjoy it this year. Um, and the New York Times has an article where where they said that it actually had higher higher ratings than in the past. It showed a fifty six percent improvement on um, on those who watched last year's event compared to them in terms of overall interest and satisfaction and watching habits. So I found that interesting because I walked into it thinking. I had read this article in advance. It was like, old Hollywood is dead. New Hollywood is here. Netflix, Hulu, given their business models, why do we even have the Oscars anymore? And I thought they did a great job this year of changing things up a good bit um, based on the critiques they've had. So that was my take. So, yeah, I have a different take on that very point (laughs) because I think some of the things they changed were with the intent of making it shorter because they've always been criticized. Like you can't even do this in three hours. You always run over. Uh, They ran over again, three and a half hours. And some of the choices they made were make no sense at all. Right. So for example, they cut the presentation of eight awards from the show, right? They, they'd already done that a few years ago. They'd taken a lot of the awards out of the show and given them offsite um, offline, kind of recorded it. Um, and then maybe just mention them or you could go find out what they were. But in this case, they cut eight more significant awards, filmed the, the awarding of them outside the show, which, hey, that will save you some time, right? Unless you decide to show the video of the presentation of the awards in the show, which <laughs> begs the question, why cut them out in the first place? I, I mean, and you couldn't even tell in some cases that this is what was happening. It was like, it might as well have been in the show. So I don't understand that. And the other thing that I just cannot bear, and I think this changes from time to time. I think the hosts matter, and I think the hosts did great this year. But I can't bear the cornball dialogue. I mean, this is Hollywood. This is supposed to be the best place for creative dialogue. And this it's so corny. And so it's cringeworthy. There are times where I am cringing, going, I, I got to mute this. It's so bad. I and think your bar is too high, Chris. It's fun. Uh. It's just meant to be fun and, <laughs> you know, a good chance to see what people are wearing and see people's faces. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I don't go in with high expectations on, like, intellectual conversation. <laughs> I don't either. I don't have high expectations. <laughs> but I have expectations that I don't cringe when I hear <laughs> okay. famous people trying to, trying to, like, deliver horrible jokes and you're just like, why do you have to do this? You've got to have better writers. Can't you just let these people be themselves? So that's my whining about it. Fair, fair. Well, I was looking for an improvement in diversity, and I think we saw that this year, which was very exciting. So that was yes. good. Last year was a, a bit of a miss there. So anyway. Also forward. some I like I do like the fact that they are they allow the hosts or the presenters to be um cutting in some of their comments like amy schumer said oh you know we 
the the the, the academy hired three women hosts because that was cheaper than hiring yeah. one male host or where they said you know finally we get to celebrate the amazing amazing you know success of the williams sisters dad <laughs> So, I mean, they were really not holding back on that part of it. And I think that's great that they're able to do that instead of trying to pretend like those things aren't real. So uh, that's enough about the Oscars. We think. Yeah. Rant over. Rant over. It wasn't a rant. I ranted, yeah, I guess. I'm sorry. I tend to rant. All right. Let's talk about Web 3. Uh, boy, we're going to try to keep this appropriate because again you can go down a thousand rabbit holes with this uh this is i think again the caveat is we are not experts in web3 but we feel the need to explore it and maybe eventually become experts in web3 and the aspects of it such as nfts blockchain the metaverse all the different kind of related areas because there's the potential that this could really be where the future is going right now we are exploring we are learning so we want that caveat out there um, and especially as it relates to this space, brands trying to lead the way in health, right? Because, uh, there's a lot of potential, but right now it's mainly potential. And we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, because if, if you want to think about, you know, how to consider all of the discussion we're about ready to have, it's just, Hey, this should help make you more curious and want to understand more about it. It's not necessarily going to give you a roadmap for how to leverage Web3, um, not at this point anyway. So how about that for qualifying? Was that the most qualifying lead-in you've ever you've ever heard on a podcast discussion? But it is. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about Web3. And I think the best way to, to, to start is to, you know, we're going to assume that people out there probably have heard of Web3. They might know a little bit about it, but we're going to give it, we're going to give it, you know, a really basic start to this. And I think you kind of have to understand Web3, you know, relevant to or related to Web 1.0 and Web 2.0. And there's notice there's a distinction between the points in one and two and not in three, which I think we have an answer for. But Stephanie, do you want to try to neatly summarize Web 1.0, Web 2.0 and then Web 3? Yeah, um, my favorite simple dis description is Web 1.0 is read only, and I'll come back to that. Web 2.0 is read plus write, and Web 3 is read plus write plus community. So in Web 1.0, the early days of the web, it was basically like one giant Wikipedia linked together, I think is how I've heard it described. But also, you know, go back in time. It was very HTML based, very text only based, maybe a few images or GIFs here and there, and all about seeking information and the early days of search engines. So seeking information and sharing information. Um, Web 2.0 is where interactivity comes about and it's where users start to create their own content and content creators. So that's what we're in today, read plus write. The, the world of social media, the world of collecting data and selling it to advertisers, the world where Facebook and Google own everything and Amazon, um, and a beginning of echo chambers because everything is based on data and your data is used to serve up content that um, is tailored to you or believed to be tailored to you and, of course, to make money on. Um, so the high world of targeted advertising. Web3, which to be clear, we're not fully there yet. There are some um, advances and, and things that are here today, which we'll get into. But in theoretical land, Web3 is where blockchain is the base. 
And what we mean by community is you are the owner of your own content data. So you would be able to theoretically monetize your data, have ownership in communities or ownership in platforms. So instead of Facebook telling you what uh, is possible and not possible, you are almost a shareholder. Um, The users would own Facebook, if you will, um, in that future world. So uh, it's a it's meant to be a big step forward to users uh, having the power and a democratized web. That's wonderful, way to go! I think that captured captured it all very um, succinctly. And so I think you know where this gets tricky is the promise of Web three. So I think you touched on this perfectly with Facebook, right? And I read this in an article. We'll provide some links in the show notes um, for some resources. But, you know, Facebook is the epitome of Web 2.0. It's a giant platform that makes billions of dollars off of user content and packaging that content. Information, more importantly, about the users is packaged and sold. That's how they make their money, right? Uh, And in the future, the version of Facebook, you might still have a community that you're able to show up in the same way that you do with Facebook now, but there is no Facebook as a company. There is a, there is a collective of the Facebook users in this case, or whatever that platform would be, uh, who own it and who benefit from their own data and their content, not a company like Facebook. Uh, All of that is dependent on blockchain. Blockchain is the underlying technology that would allow everybody to participate and monetize their contributions uh, and for that collective to operate in a way um, that's effective. Now, some of that, it all sounds good, but it starts, sometimes it starts to break down when you, when you think about a headless group in the world that is self-managing, not a lot of those out there. Whether it's on the internet or not, you know, a lot of this reminds me of um, Occupy Wall Street. You know, I took my kids to New York City when that was a th- when that was a, a thing, and there was a um, there was a place right outside of Wall Street where Occupy Wall Street just camped out. And if you remember, they acted as a collective. There was no leader, and they would use these weird group hand signals. Are you guys familiar with this? (coughs) Stephanie, you're smiling. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, vaguely remember. I can't remember what it was called, but that's how they would, they would like make decisions was some kind of like, like, I think it was using hand signals and it was, it was bizarre uh, because there was no leader. There was no like decision making authority. The group made a decision. Now, I don't know how successful that was, but we're talking about a group of like 50 people encamped like outside of New York City. We're not talking about a million people spread all over the world that are basically organized using blockchain documentation. So so there's those kind of things that make you go, hmm, one of my favorite songs from the 90s. I think that was the 90s. Things that make you go, hmm. There's other things that make you go, hmm, about Web3. Uh, and and this is a great example of another thing that makes me go, hmm. It's the security of it. So one of the articles that we read uh, when we got into this was, well, the New York Times has an article. It's great. It's called What is Web3? It's not even an article, right? It's a whole experience. And it, it gets into the, 
the other elements of this, which we'll touch on, NFTs, the metaverse, crypto, all of that is related to this. The example that the New York Times gave in this in this content of a Web3 app, because that's typically how Web3 would come to life is through apps, uh, not apps like apps on your phone, but just a broader kind of use of that term, is a video game called uh, Axie Infinity, which uses NFTs and cryptocurrency to reward players uh, for basically playing. So the way you play, the more you play, uh, the more you achieve, you actually earn crypto. So it's a perfect example, right? Uh, instead of a video game maker making all the money from selling the game, you as a player get to make money from playing the game, right? So it's like you as a member of Facebook would make money from your contributions and the data that you contribute to Facebook. Uh, and so there's a couple of things with this that I think are interesting. First of all, just this week, we learned that somebody hacked Axie Infinity and stole $600 million worth of cryptocurrency from it. So you go, that can happen to anybody. That can happen to, to Web 2.0 or any company, to be honest. Um, so it's not like that's unique, but a little scary. And then the other part of it, and I'd love your guys' feedback on this, is a lot of what I've read about Web3 is, is that, that what's great about it is, is it gives incentives to us, the individual, to participate because we can make money, right? I'm much more likely to join the Web3 version of Facebook in the beginning when maybe you guys aren't on it, but but I see the value of this community. And so the more I can contribute to the community, the more people come in and the more I make from it. My question is, it's it makes it seem like the whole point is the monetization of my participation. And that is also what they talk about this video game. And I'm like, hey, I play a lot of video games. I don't wanna be paid. And what is the implication if the incentive to con to participate in anything online is to be paid, right? I mean, that's not why we participate in Facebook. Well, I I think it goes beyond that. I I do think the monetization is an important point. I mean, play to earn is kind of the phrase around gaming. Right. So instead of, um, you know, you're you're playing and you have a potential to earn. Um, now, elsewhere, though, the ownership and the voting rights, if you will, are a really interesting incentive. So in the past, I think a couple podcasts ago, we talked about NFTs and the ability to own, own, you know, have ownership, not just in art, but in creative endeavors of all kinds, movies, music and whatnot, your own projects, being able to own your own rights of those, which is huge because, of course, in creative world, that's been a big, big issue. And then the, the, the voting rights, if you will, being a shareholder to a group or organization or even company, I'm using that word in quotations, is really enticing because being able to you know, have, have a say in how that goes in a non-stock market kind of way. So I think those are the other incentives and the other, mm -hmm. the other um, pieces that make it really interesting. I, and, and that is all true. And I think to a degree, that does sound interesting to a degree. I don't want all of my online experiences to, 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 to fall under that camp though, right? Like I don't have time. I don't care about, about ownership and voting rights. And I just want to enjoy something. I want to participate in something. I want to enjoy a community. Now, maybe I can still do that and I don't have to worry about all that. Right. Um, so, so I think that that's, that's also the other side of it, but so this is where, I mean, we could, 
the rabbit hole here is deep. It's actually like a rabbit warren. Did you guys ever read Watership Down? I don't know why that just yeah. popped in my mind. Yes. Wow, what a, a creepy book. That is a way throwback. <laughs> but it's not just a rabbit hole. It's like a rabbit warren. There's like 100 holes we could dive into here. Uh, we ahead, should Stephanie. dive into one hole, though. And that is, and I know we'll get into this, um, is the, the healthcare world. So mm-hmm. I was just going to bring up, though, I think one of the benefits there coming back to ownership that doesn't necessarily require level of effort like you're talking about. But imagine a world where you owned your own medical data. Mm-hmm. So let's say, you know, you own all your own medical data. You get a say for not just who sees it, which you get a say in that today, but how it's used. So think about like research, think about clinical trials um, and being able to have a, a say in that and how your data is used. And then, yes, maybe you could actually be paid for the use of your data for research purposes. Like, oh, my goodness. Or maybe if you're going through a clinical trial, you have some say in um, not so much how it's run clinically, but, um, you know, what you get shared back to you from an information standpoint. Um, yeah. so medical data as NFTs, if you will, is really, really interesting. Yes. Stephanie. I totally... Go ahead, Sorry, Chris. It's, this wasn't planned, but there's actually an organization called Genomes DAO that is a private DNA bank, uh, that basically allows people to get their DNA sequence to contribute to medical research. So while people remain anonymous um, and they're, they own the data, their own you know genome sequence, it allows people to kind of accelerate the discovery process of life-changing treatments uh, through that organization. So there are actual real-life examples of, of organizations doing this and, and people participating in this way, though it's still far off. But yeah, this is one real-life example of... Yeah, I love that because that brings to life a lot of what um, the conversation has been, which is imagine a world where you were an owner in your data in 23andMe. You know, they didn't own your data because that's a lot of people's concern with doing genetic testing like that is, oh, what are they going to do with my DNA? So if you own it, if you will, and you have the rights to it, that's huge. It is huge. And I love the the premise of that. And if anybody's going to make money off their health data, it's me. (laughs) Because everybody's going to want my data because of all this shit I got going on. Excuse my language. So, so yeah, though you have to wonder, like, to what degree would you really be able to make money off of this? And also, the power of these DNA data banks is the access to millions of pieces of data. If all of a sudden that is gated off and only the people that allow it, it, it actually might impede the progress we're talking about. So and the reason I bring that up is I um, I drove, I had a long drive recently and I, and I listened to an amazing podcast about the first time the DNA was used in a criminal case, not DNA itself, but, but the, the um, genetic side of it, right? Where you could go into 23andMe with a piece of DNA and find a fifth cousin and go, okay, now we're now we might be able to identify who owns this DNA. And it was a phenomenal story, but it got into the a little bit of this question of um, whose DNA gets, you know, who can access DNA for that purpose. And the more DNA there is, the more likely it is for, in this case, um, you know, somebody who's investigating a crime to be able to identify the perpetrator. But if all of that is taken off the table and now it's only the people that allow their DNA to be used for that case, it it really limits it. And I don't want to debate the ethics of that either way, 
but the same could be true for any kind of clinical study. Um, so I think like it's really complicated, but the potential is there if all goes well. But that's again back to our caveat that a lot of this is potential future, and so much needs to happen to even come close to realizing some of this. Is that fair? Yeah, there's yeah. there's a lot of regulatory <laughs> issues at play too when it comes to people's private health information and how that's going to be managed in the future. So for sure. Yeah. yeah. But one fun thing, Chase, can you share your oh, um, yeah. finding around ape docs? Yeah. So I, as I was looking in NFTs and just different examples as it relates to the healthcare industry, I came across ape docs, uh, which is an NFT project for healthcare workers. Uh, and they are made actually by a team of doctors and they I love this. They predict a future in which healthcare workers will have their ape docs on the walls of their offices right next to their medical degrees. <laughs> and the first thing students will do when they actually become a doctor, have the financial resources, they will purchase their own ape doc. That is their, their prediction. And yeah, how we should drop it... a link. Sorry, go ahead. No, Stephanie, I'm just got so many questions. You go first. Okay. Well, we should drop a link in the show notes because you have to visually see this. Oh, I mean, it's so if good. you if you've seen the board ape yacht club NFTs, this is basically that, but with uh stethoscopes and lab coats on. I mean, they're adorable in my opinion. Um, and so essentially like imagine the the artwork up in a doctor's office. Now that's theoretical as well, but I think I think it's cool. Go ahead with your questions, Chris. I I don't even know where to start, right? I, <laughs> a, I love, I love that folks are trying to take, take advantage is the wrong word, leverage this. So I'm all for it to start, right? But my questions are, what is the value to the ape doc holder of this NFT? So are, are you like literally selling your own NFT for people to invest in you as a caregiver? As other NFTs, I mean, that's the premise of most NFTs, right? Like, here's an NFT that you buy. You've now invested in this NFT either because of the person or the content or something behind it, or just because of the value of the of the image itself. What do you get out of it as a caregiver? And then what do you get out of it for someone who would purchase the Ape Doc? Well, I, I don't, I think that's an interesting idea of a, of a, maybe I think you're going down the road of a healthcare worker selling rights to their NFT or something, but I think it's more so there's you, when you get out of med school, as Chase is saying, you purchase your own NFT, which represents you in the, in the metaverse and your personality. And it's a, it's a status symbol. I mean, that's what these ape status symbols are in the first place. It's a, it's a, it's a status symbol. It's not and yes, the thought is the value increases over time as more people buy the NFTs and there's more created and you're part of this larger community of people. But I think sometimes we underestimate what people like as just status and having something that represents you and identity. Yeah, I, I, I think it goes back to, I mean, we've all seen the verified check on Instagram or yeah. Twitter or whatever, right? This is just another example of, there's only 10,000 of these Yes. Uh, ape docs, right? And there's 59 million healthcare workers. So there's an exclusivity to it. There's a kind of a verified status kind of symbolism of, hey, this is, I'm a part of this and, and others aren't, whether it's on your Instagram profile or if it's, you know, somehow pulled into the metaverse in some way. That's so, the point. So time out. Like you, you said that as like, 
a quality. And to me, this is where I go. This is just a giant money making scheme. The oh, 10,000, the 10,000 yeah. is intentional. <laughs> oh, it's, it's to intentional. limit it. It's to make it exclusive, right? <laughs> to raise. The Why couldn't I design? So I don't, I'm not going to pay you for your NFT. Why couldn't I design a board ape doc with my version of a stethoscope and put it on my avatar? You can. So, so how do these things have value if I can do that? This is, we're getting into the rabbit hole of why NFTs are like, because who has the ability? I mean, I've had that thought like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go learn how to, you know, create illustrations and animations and make NFTs. But the average bear doesn't have that skill, nor the time, nor the effort. And it's also right now in this moment in time, I don't think it'll be this way in six months or a year, but right now it's hot to be able to say, I have this NFT that I purchased that represents me. Look how cool it is. It's part of this larger community. I mean, I think, I think, you know, I w- okay. I don't want to overthink it quite now. It's 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 hot at the moment. <laughs> yeah, and I will say they the prices are are I don't know if it's realistic. They're three hundred dollars to two thousand dollars is kind of the range of the these NFTs, which is a lot cheaper than the board Ape yeah. Yacht Club, which is as I've heard it described, the Lamborghini of NFTs. Yeah. It's very inaccessible <laughs> and it's very uh, again an elite status symbol to say you have one. I, I it's just so funny to me. This just this to me is all entertainment, gambling. It's it's I I can see why people love it, and I can also see why people go, "What the? This is just silliness." And gambling is a huge industry and a very long-standing one. So. It is totally, but I mean, <laughs> let's call it what it is. I mean, it's basically like Tupperware. It's basically like, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's hilarious. You just say like, "Hey." Here's something limited value. Go buy it. But I, I yeah. again, like I'm going to circle back to. I love the fact that they've that they've created this. They're trying to take advantage of it, leverage it. Sorry. Um, I just the other last thing I'll say is, and I guess this answers itself. Why does it always have to be an ape? <laughs> so right? the, well, what one, I think about? the board. Board apes just became really popular, but also yeah. um, the word ape in the crypto community suggests early adopter. Um, and there's other uses of ape out there like ApeCoin and whatnot. So I, I, but here's, here's my take. I think it's just that the board ape yacht club happened to go viral because celebrities mm-hmm. built, got, you know, bought into it, which is usually the thing that makes things pick up the most is when somebody you already know and respect you know, Justin Bieber, Gwyneth Paltrow buy in. So our art is one tiny, tiny part of NFTs and the larger thing here. And I think where it gets a lot more interesting is when we get into rights um, more at large. All right. Well, we said we were going to go into rabbit holes. We went to, uh, I don't know if I should say this. We went to ape holes. Oh, <laughs> we should probably stop there because we could keep going on and on. I think, where we wanted to 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 take this and we've touched on it briefly is is in healthcare. I'm not sure that the board what is it called the board ape docs not board apes the ape docs is necessarily the best way to think about web3 or nfts though it shows one potential for it for health brands. Uh I think what we would say right now is there are certainly ways and we've talked about this before we'll talk about it again to think about the metaverse. There are really, really incredible potential um, applications of blockchain in healthcare, and the book covers that a lot. 
uh, our advice, if you're in a health brand and you're a marketer or otherwise, just start digging, just start reading. You come across the ape docs and you're like, wow, could we do that? Could we have our own ape docs? Can we have ape nurses? I don't know. I don't know what's next, but, yeah. but I, I think that, I think that the more you get out in front of it, the better prepared you will be to leverage what does emerge as real business applications and ways to engage consumers. That fair? Yeah, I was just going to add that all the resources that we that we read for this show, we'll put them in the show notes. If you if the, you guys are looking, if you all are looking for a place to start, uh, we we did a lot of research on on some good articles, so we'll make sure to share those in the show notes. Okay, nothing else. That's it. No last, no last points. All right, we got so much on this, so we'll we'll come back to it. We'll come back to it a little smarter. Maybe our commitment should be by the end of this year. Let's do this right now publicly. Raise your right hand. Nobody can see this, but we're raising our right hand. Stephanie, is that your right hand, Stephanie? You have a reverse camera. <laughs> she was going she left hand. She tried to there. raise her left hand, so she get out of it. By the end of 2022, we will be experts in this. The three of oh, us. Oh goodness! Define the word expert. Yeah. I mean, I we don't know will, if anybody can be an expert. Um, we'll be dangerous. But, How about that. Yes. Yes. All right, we'll be there. We'll, we will understand it to the fullest degree it can be understood and its application in health. I want us to commit to that. We can do yeah, that. I mean, I'm here for that. All right, Goodness cool. Gracious. I know we all are interested in it, so let's just commit to it. All right, with that commitment, I didn't make you guys like cut your hand and like smear blood on the webcam. <laughs> I just said raise your right hand so we, we can get out of it if we need to, but we'll be good. Uh, let's wrap there. How about that? Thank you guys for being willing to explore something that we're as of now dangerous on absolutely thanks everybody for listening yeah if you've got an idea for us if you've got thoughts on this on web3 on nfts on ape docs shoot us an email at no normal at reviveagency.com we'd love to hear from you all make sure you share the show with friends and colleagues give us a review and rating on itunes that really helps us and helps more people see our podcast And until next time, don't be satisfied with corny dialogue on the Oscars. Push the no normal, y'all. We will talk to you next week. Three, two, one.